0: I'm Brock Gordon, and I'm an art teacher at Fusion Academy, and I work with a group of fantastic teachers. This summer, I'm catching up with them on their ideas on education. This is Summer League. My guest is Chelsea Smith. She's an English teacher. She's a life skills teacher. In part one, we're going to talk about her teaching philosophy. In part two, we're going to come back and talk about cooking.
1: There's Klingons on the starboard bow, starboard bow, starboard bow. There's Klingons on the starboard bow, starboard bow, Jim.
0: That's going in. (laughs) I have Chelsea Smith here. Uh, Chelsea, you teach English mainly. Tell Um, us what else you teach here.
1: uh, I also teach history, a lot of community minds, and um, just whatever electives come my way, I've done life skills. Uh, Creative writing was one of my favorite electives I got to teach. Um, So pretty much open to whatever gets tossed my way.
0: Great. Um, Welcome to the art studio, and thanks so much for sitting down with me today.
1: Thanks for inviting me in here to hang out with you and Shia LaBeouf there on the wall.
0: Of course. Shia LaBeouf is up on the wall. He was made by a student and I, and currently he says, he has a little whiteboard that I like to put quotes in, and currently he says, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just get to work.
1: I imagine it's hard to goof (laughs) off with that thing there.
0: Well, luckily I can't see it. (laughs) It's behind me. So you do a lot of different, um, you teach a lot of different classes here, but then you also have a really, one of my favorite clubs here, which is Social Club. Tell us about Social Club, what is it?
1: Uh, So when I had for Community Minds, One of the requirements for Community Minds is you have to go out and you have to start socializing later on in the course, but he just didn't feel comfortable doing it and he suggested that maybe with Community Minds a better way for him and other Community Minds kids to kind of practice these skills and practice the socializing was to intentionally create a smaller space. Um, And he then tried to kind of kick and fight and push and shove his way out of doing social club. Uh, But he created it, he was the founder, and for a while he was its leader. Uh, And the idea there is every week a student runs their own session uh, with the idea of once everyone's done it, then they can do something cooperatively. Um, It's gonna teach them to be young leaders and kind of stand up and speak in front of people and pay attention to people's needs because often they're teaching people something. And then on the other hand, if it's not their week, They learn to shut up and do it, even if they don't want to, because you need to be polite to your peers. Uh, And then once we've gotten to the point where everyone's had that opportunity to be on both sides of it, uh, we like to brainstorm and talk about what would everyone like to do collectively, and that's how the talent show came about. Um, By that point in the year, everyone who was in the club still had presented, they'd had their week, They didn't really wanna go do another round. Um, They'd done that before. Some of the kids didn't wanna present again. Uh, So then they wanted to try something social and the talent show won out.
0: So um, I refer to you, and I mean this in the best way possible.
1: I'm scared. But
0: I refer to you as the Nerd Whisperer (laughs) (laughs) because you do such a great job with so many of our students who have a really hard time socializing and just in general um, might not know how to interact with people in a real way. I think you just get to the real um, heart of issues and you have no problems with like relating to just about any kind of teenager. Um, but I just thought <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> would applaud
0: that ability of well, yours. Thank you. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about where you come from.
1: Um, I come from Houston. Fun fact, I come from the neighborhood that's next to that neighborhood that was built on the toxic waste dump.
0: Okay. All right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I was, um, my parents didn't have a lot of money when my older brother and I were young. And so I love telling people, yeah, I I, I grew up in the neighborhood next to that one that no one's allowed to live in because (laughs) it was on a toxic waste dump. And every now and then when my mom would drive past it. She would turn off all the air conditioning and say, let's play the hold your breath game, kids.
0: <laughs> and you're still alive. And
1: I'm still alive. All right. So survived early childhood. Take that, Houston. <laughs> yeah, what was it that one football player said when the Super Bowl was here? It's just a bunch of strip malls on a toxic waste. Tom. Yeah,
0: he wasn't wrong.
1: <laughs> no, he wasn't wrong. But it's it's our toxic waste dump, and we love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> On the one hand, part of me is like really wants to go to Central Texas because the weather is just amazing there. But then I remember, oh, they don't they don't have as much food there. It's not as diverse there. It's not Ew. as good yeah. in a lot of places.
0: A lot of people get confused. Like I was when I was living in Tennessee, I bought um, a dehumidifier, Some people were like, uh, "It's Texas, right? You're it's uh, the <laughs> desert." like no it's a swamp it's a dirty <laughs> Sometimes people forget
1: that yeah part of texas is on the gulf yeah it's it's kind of that same thing of i remembered um a lot of kids would move here uh to east texas and would be or even when i lived when i was a child in central texas kids would always move to texas and be super confused like i thought we rode horses to school it's like yeah. Shh, who can afford a horse where are you from
0: yeah um I think Old Town Road is probably just going to be like...
1: Oh, it's just... It's going to ruin things. The
0: the stereotype for a while.
1: Honestly, the stereotypes are why I couldn't watch that third Twilight movie. Because I'd heard from someone that they have one of the vampires rides a horse over the mountains to get to Galveston. And I just heard that and went, I wasn't invested enough in these to to put myself through that. (laughs) Yeah. It's real fun. Um... I have uh, I've got some friends overseas. I've got a friend who's from Puerto Rico. I've got some friends in England. And it's always so fun to just compare our cultures because yeah. it doesn't matter where they're from. You think even in Puerto Rico, they'd have a pretty clear idea because um, well, proximity. They, yeah, because of the proximity and uh, because they are a what, what what's the term? I don't want to say colony because then that would be admitting America's an empire. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> we
0: have shied a away protein, from yeah. that. It's protectorate, a, uh, protectorate, or it's like a U.S. territory. Yeah,
1: territory. That's it. So you you think, but then it's it's just like they come from another state. Doesn't matter how close they are, mm-hmm. physically, geographically, to Texas. It's you might as well have someone from Michigan coming down into Texas. Same thought process.
0: Yeah. So, Chelsea, um, what experiences led to you becoming a teacher?
1: A lot of it had to do with my grandmother. Um, I kind of resisted it throughout college and the first couple years outside of college, but eventually it just kind of fell into place. My grandmother had been a teacher, and there was almost an expectation that I would become one. And it just sort of all fell together.
0: What age did you think that, start thinking that? Like, I um, become a teacher?
1: I think when I was 11 or 12 was when I knew someday I'd become a teacher. But I want to say I was 23 or 24 when I went, fine, fine, I'll do it now. I won't put it off. I'll do it now. I'll start working with children. Because I tried really hard to sort of resist what seemed like my inevitable fate. And it didn't work.
0: Yeah, what was that like? What were you like, uh, like was it 21 22 23 where you're like i'm gonna go be a writer or you know whatever
1: at that time i really wanted to work in film and so that was kind of my goal Mm -hmm. and um i initially moved to austin after college uh, and a job there didn't work out and um i was just trying to find ways turns out it's really hard to break into film Um, as hard as people say it is indeed and it kind of came down to I started writing novels more and focusing on the writing that was a bit more independent um, Just because in that way I felt like I'd have a little bit more control over my dreams than pursuing say screenplays Um, Because at the very least with writing novels it was I don't have to worry about all of those moving parts i just have to worry about me sitting down in front of my laptop and actually writing and resisting the urge to just watch crazy ex-girlfriend videos on youtube
0: yeah i imagine like writing that's a little bit more of a direct path to your viewer than if you're working in film you might write a script but that's interpreted by this whole team of movie makers and um, eventually it becomes diluted from your original vision.
1: And I think the only real way to kind of have control over your original vision is to become like Neil Gaiman and even he has said he's getting out of television he's getting out of film he wants to go back to writing novels because he's exhausted with it Um, I think he even had planned to get out of it because of some frustrations about the interpretation of his Doctor Who scripts, um, and came back for Good Omens, obviously, because of uh, Terry Pratchett. Um, God bless. But Mm. yeah, I I think getting to write a novel, you also get a lot more freedom. Uh, I still want to do screenplay someday. I want to do comic scripts. I want to do everything at some point. But at the same time, you get a lot more freedom in terms of um, a novel, just because of how you can handle exposition. You can be much more direct. It still has to be folded in, it still has to be clever, but you can just go into a character's head and hang out there for a couple of pages to explain stuff. Um, And I think if you kind of want to see the difference between how a novel works and a screenplay, watch the second the Crimes of Grindelwald Fantastic Beasts movie and look at where it kind of failed as a movie. Is because Rowling is a novelist, she's not a screenwriter. And the way that she wrote that movie, she handled it like you would handle a novel. But it meant that the exposition felt very clunky or not very well explained because she didn't have the ability to handle it the way that you would in a novel. Had that movie been a novel, it would have been fantastic. If that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I spend a lot of time sitting and thinking about stories. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a rare case in other facets that you're able to have that much control over the final product. Um, in film, there's probably a handful of people who carve out that space for themselves, like a Quentin Tarantino or a Stanley Kubrick or something. Think about that a lot with like when you're working on something, be it, you know, writing, music, um, art, whatever, who has control over that final product? And It's very rare when it actually does happen, but it's really nice when you can relinquish a little bit of control. I don't know. I
1: I can kind of see that, though. Like, writing seems to come... It's so much about character that sometimes it gets to the point of you have to figure out where are you in the character in Mm -hmm. order to flesh them out and get started. And then once you've done that, once you're writing, you kind of then have to step away and let them just be themselves yeah and then you get to the revision process and you have to be present the whole time because all you're doing is ripping it apart
0: so do you ever do you ever get to that point where you have wishes for your story that um you might take a step back and say like well obviously that can't happen like you have to give way to the world itself yes. that you've created yes it so. sucks. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Um, That actually just happened when I was revising my novel. A few times my editor was just like, you can't do this because of this thing you wrote. And I was like, but, but, but. And I said, if I get sequels, I have this plan. And she's like, I literally don't see that. I don't think you're going to be able to do that. And I'm like, but, 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 I want to. (laughs) And its I've kind of hit the point of I had a big plan. And I'm just like, maybe that plan's not going to happen. I don't know.
0: And that's okay.
1: And that, that's okay, It's gonna be, it'll be fine, everything's fine, we're in the good place.
0: <laughs> Do you have anybody that you model your teaching style on?
1: That shouldn't be a hard question. Um, I think a little bit there was a teacher when I was, uh, well I guess there's two teachers I can think of. Um, one is Mr. Stratton was my humanities teacher in high school and he was just, he was a walrus. Like he, he, he was bold and he had this huge handlebar mustache and he drank a lot of tea every single session and he, he didn't date and I, I, I'm Mr. Stratton. I, <laughs> I just realized I've grown up to become Mr. Stratton. Um, but he was an artist and he was really cool and a lot of his sessions were just, he'd sit and we'd have these big class discussions and sometimes he pissed me off with our debates. But it meant that he was reaching me. He was reaching a lot of us. He was really engaging with us. Um, And he made us think because he would just sit there and challenge us over and over and over, even as he was teaching. Um, And then I had Professor Kennedy in college, was a great government teacher, such that I technically didn't need to take government honors. I chose to so I could take him for another semester. And he was a guy you could just feel how much he enjoyed what he was teaching. And he had these uh, red, white, and blue um, beanie babies, I think it was an eagle, that he would just throw at us when we answered questions. And I've adopted that uh, into my community minds stuff, uh, when I throw things at the kids to practice conversation.
0: So is that like a talking stick or what? Sorry. What am I? Kind of like, like a
1: talking like, stick. Is yeah. that
0: the term we you use? There's like the chicken, whoever's holding the chicken.
1: Yeah. gets to, gets, gets to, to answer <laughs> the question. <laughs> I love that. And then there was kind of a, I mean, I feel like it wasn't official, but we all definitely judged each other on, did you catch it or did you drop it? Like, how much should I judge you right now? And that was, it was always fun and it kept you on your toes. Government can get a little bit dull and it was just a little tiny element that just made it fun. Yeah. And he was also very big on discussions uh, and very big on just asking us questions that we had to answer, uh, which I always found to be a really exciting way to teach. So I definitely wanted to use that.
0: I like those those teachers that find little ways to just add a little bit of spice to the class. And I remember my art history professor in undergrad would um, do the ball throw thing sometimes, but a lot of times he would call roll and say like, all right, answer in three words, how are your your is going? And everybody had to like come up with three words to like summarize their day and be like, dead dead alive or you know whatever okay. <laughs> but something thing. to engage you right away yeah. Uh, yeah, and it would make other people laugh no matter what they said what differences do you notice between um, your experience in school and the way you teach now
1: like my experiences when I was a student yeah I mean the one on one is really going to make it extremely different totally um I think definitely just the focus that we put on the emotions of the children. I mean I can't I don't think I can think of anything that's not coming back to the one on one format and what fusion's all about has really shaped how I teach.
0: And so different from It's different from, from just a, being,
1: yeah, in a in a public school with a big class, um, which actually a lot of the time I enjoyed. Um, I enjoyed the class discussions. I enjoyed being around other kids, especially if my friend was in the class because we'd always compete
0: with mm, each other, which okay. made it.
1: Um, I had a friend, Summer, who uh, I think, I think throughout high school, we ended up taking about three classes together, and we would always compete. She would always beat me. She would get way better grades, but it was fun to try. I think I beat her one time in English, and then every other class, she just destroyed me, and it was fun
0: do you keep up with her
1: oh yeah um i'm actually trying to figure out if or when i can go on a a girl's weekend with her coming up soon so yeah sometimes it's it's nice when you actually manage to grow with someone instead of apart
0: yeah
1: yeah we were part of a little trio in high school the other person's uh still hanging out with us too um so yeah, it's it's kind of fun. They've one's gone into marketing, one's gone into HR, and I've gone into kind of crazy Manic Pixie Dream Girl. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, oh yeah, you know, I, I I got this, you know, new ergonomic chair for my office, and oh yeah, I got this really great suit for an office event, and I'm I showed up to work in jeans covered in paint and drank yeah. tea and watched a movie based on a book with a child. <laughs> and sometimes I don't know if they're like oh my god what are you doing with your life or they go oh my god your life it's so great i, I don't know <laughs> how I come across sometimes with that
0: I see you coming into work some days you've got the uh, you got some paint on your arm and obviously you've been hard at work what are you painting these days
1: um well most recently I did an art trade with someone uh, there was a bookseller who had a hard to find printed copy of a Neil Gaiman short story I really wanted. So in return for that, they had me paint up um, an interpretation of a Goosebumps cover. Uh, when I'm not doing that, usually I'm painting just for myself to put stuff on my own walls. Uh, but I also just painted recently a Groot planter that I've got in my room.
0: Cool, so, I've yeah. seen it.
1: Yeah, It's uh, the paint is designed to hide the glue that <laughs> I had to use to put it back together.
0: Um, I've got one more question for you and then we'll take a short break um, but that is what's how have you had to compromise your own work and vision um, to be a teacher and that could be a lot of different ways it could be like time a lot of people hear compromise and say like I' it, it was worth it I never compromised anything but obviously like the the idea is that you have thing you have a ton yeah. of things going on outside of this school that like the school takes away from you being able to do that like more yeah um so how how have you had to compromise your own like
1: again coming back to the one-on-one teaching i love it i love it i love it but then You also kind of don't have the ability to say, I designed this whole great curriculum off of this book I loved when I was a child, and now you're all going to read it. You don't do that here. You have the kid come in and go, what do you want to read? And sometimes what the kid wants to read, I really don't want to read. (laughs) But I I read it anyway. (laughs) We do it anyway, but I just go, oh, God, we could have been reading The Hobbit, but we're reading this. Okay.
0: What's a book that a kid wanted to read that you didn't want to read?
1: A Louis Vuitton biography. Oh, I didn't like it. That <laughs> it just it I'm just Sorry. <laughs> it just wasn't intr- Did I say that? Did I answer too fast? No. no with no. that.
0: <laughs> it, it seemed like you had something in mind.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one that I was very much just like I do this cuz I love them. I do this cuz I love my children. Yeah. Oh god.
0: <laughs> so boring. Yeah.
1: And it's So after that, I've, I have started getting into the habit of if I think a kid's not going to pick a good book, I've started providing several different options of books for them to read.
0: That's a good plan.
1: Yeah, to just go like, last time I gave you the chance, you picked something awful. Here's some choices.
0: <laughs> Sometimes it's good to present the illusion of choice.
1: Yes. I'm going to give you this sucky book, this sucky book, this sucky book, and this New York Times bestseller. yeah which one do you want to read?
0: It like falls out of Oh what hap- how here it, it just I, it happened. It must have
1: been fate yeah. that this is clearly what we need to read and talk about.
0: Yeah. Don't let them don't let him make all the moves. Um, we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back in part 2 and talk about food. Yay! So we're back for part two with Chelsea Smith, and she's here to talk to us, or uh, me, and you get to listen, (laughs) (laughs) about food and maybe some other topics. But uh, we both appreciate food and cooking a lot. I substituted one of your classes one time and saw that you had a copy of uh, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, Mm -hmm. and I appreciate that book a lot. And... It's now a Netflix series. Yes, I loved it. Um, have you seen the Netflix episodes?
1: For Salt, Fat, Acid? For that, oh, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and it somehow even, like, it does its own version of those four in a really interesting way, where it's a little bit more um, tied to location. And um, I love the episodes where they go to Italy, uh, and the first one, and Japan. Yeah, Uh, it's hard not to win with either of those two uh, food cultures. Have you always cooked? Have you? Is it something that you're like developing as an adult? What? Which of those is like?
1: Kind of yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, When I was younger, I learned how to do a few basic dishes at home, and um, I wasn't expected to cook very often, but. One of the things I was taught was how to brown ground beef. uh, Because uh, browned ground beef, we used a lot in our cooking at home. And so that was kind of a skill I was taught early on. I found that I had been taught differently than other people. I'd been taught to brown the meat, then drain the fat out Mm -hmm. before we put it into anything else. Turns out a lot of people don't drain that fat out. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... I, I guess we, since we don't, we never made our own sauces. We never bothered to keep the fat. Um, so I would do that, and I learned how to bake pretty young too. And I always enjoyed baking, but I didn't do much from scratch. It was very much low-key supermarket cooking. I just enjoyed doing it when I was younger.
0: And that's what's important.
1: Yeah, it was that I enjoy. I had <laughs> fun. My food was not amazing, but I had fun. <laughs> And I also discovered I liked to experiment in the kitchen. And so um, then kind of progressively as I got older, I tried out more and more things. Um, When I was in my very early 20s, I discovered I really liked lavender, uh, both the smell and the taste. And so I became determined to find ways to incorporate lavender in cooking.
0: That's a tough one.
1: It is and it isn't. Uh, I found the best way to incorporate lavender. For me, my favorite is to uh, get lavender-infused oil and then just replace half of the fat in your baking with that lavender-infused oil. Uh, And it goes really well with chocolate Mm. uh, because if you have that much lavender, it's gonna balance the chocolate out more. But if you're mixing it with, say, something lemony or something vanilla, you wanna cut back on the lavender because those are more delicate flavors. Um, cool. And I learned this because I had some really bad early cooking experiences. Uh-huh.
0: What's the worst cooking experience you've ever had?
1: So I was um, I was in a school club when I was in, like, like, oh, kids, I was in a school club. And we were having a holiday party. And I decided I wanted to make spice muffins for our holiday party. Uh, Our school library had just gotten in this muffin cookbook. It was one of my first times cooking entirely from scratch. I was really, really excited. And I'm going through the ingredients. And one of the ingredients for these spice muffins is sour cream. So I go to the fridge and I don't see any sour cream. And I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. And then I see a bottle that says sour cream on it. I thought what it said was, ranch flavored sour cream and i thought it's spice muffins it'll just have an interesting kick <laughs> so i threw it in i didn't eat any of the muffins i cooked them up i threw them in i went to the party and everyone's eating them and they're like there's there's something weird about these muffins and i tried it and i was like oh my god this just tastes bizarre <laughs> like there was one person who really liked them
0: yeah
1: and we didn't understand why So I go home that night and I'm just baffled. I'm like, why do these, it was ranch flavored sour cream. It shouldn't have been that strong. Like, why is this so weird? And I mentioned it to my dad and he just kind of laughed and he takes me to the fridge and he points to the bottle and it wasn't ranch flavored sour cream. It was sour cream flavored ranch dressing (laughs) that I had put into my muffins. And after that, people were convinced that I didn't know how to cook. And I was like, but I do, (laughs) I do know how to cook. And then post-college, in college, I started experimenting with how many different ways can you cook in a microwave um, as one learns in college. Yes. And then post-college was the first time I started trying things like uh, making my own drinks, uh, making my own smoothies, uh, and then cooking with... The the big thing was cooking with raw meat because that was something I'd always been afraid of. I browned the ground beef, but Mm -hmm. I never messed with chicken or anything. And so when I figured out how to do that, then... the doors were open.
0: Yeah, it's, cooking is seems like something where you learn how to do a little thing.
1: Yeah, a little and then little a
0: little thing, thing yeah. and then you gain a little bit of confidence, and that opens the door. It's not like the knowledge isn't out there. It's not like you couldn't just look up how to roast a chicken on the internet from day one.
1: Yeah,
0: it's that you don't believe that you can do any of those things until until you got by little, the little
1: skills together
0: and you put it all together and once you build that confidence you can do anything you want it's really not that hard to do it's really just putting it all together the what what goes well um and what's a reasonable salt level and what's uh you know spice that works well with a dish that's i think like I think back to how I learned how to cook and a lot of it was really just like watching my grandma and I wouldn't help her do much of anything. Like she would have me like maybe snap some green beans or something. But it was really just watching her and she never had any recipes. She just went by feel and like how much salt? That much, like a you know half a handful um, for a big pot. Um, or tasted things a lot and just watching somebody cook like that goes a long way because you just see that like oh it doesn't have to be really difficult or exact it can be really creative and um, I think from then on like when you go out into your 20s and you like have to cook for yourself you start to pick up little things here and there you're like okay it's not hard. You just have to organize it a little bit.
1: Yeah, and I always, I always kind of saw cooking as being a little bit of self-expression since high school. Um, ironically enough, I didn't actually ever watch my grandmother cook, uh, but I was reading a manga. It was a very supernatural series. It was a bunch of short stories um, that were all connected by some characters, and in one of the stories, you have a woman who wants to learn how to cook, and one of the main characters happens to be a pretty good cook. So he's teaching her, and they find it really bizarre that she never eats her own food. Hmm. And uh, a lot of it comes down to it had to do with her perception of herself, because you put yourself into your food. For that that very reason, kind of the, the recipe is guidelines, not rules. You can just taste it and throw it and fix it and make it whatever you like. And they point out, even if you try to fo- follow the recipe. Uh, you are subconsciously going to change it right. to suit your uh, opinions, your needs, what feels right to you. And so the story then, I think the ultimate point was it had something weird to do with her self-perception. But that really stuck with me of how much of yourself is going to end up in a dish. It's kind of similar to, you know, give half a dozen directors the exact same script and they're all going to shoot it completely differently. Totally. Um, And the same thing, you give half a dozen different chefs the same recipe. If they're professional chefs, it's going to taste pretty similar, but there will be a difference somewhere because they are different people and they're going to express themselves differently by how they they
0: cook. And that's the beauty of food. Like you never you could never I mean, some people will get tired of eating new and delicious things, but I don't know those people. (laughs) Uh, You'll never get tired. There'll never be an end because people, we've been cooking for as long as we've been people. Um, People keep innovating and coming up with new um, ways to do things and new combinations, even though the bare ingredients have been around for Ever So you developed a cooking curriculum here. Um, Tell us about that.
1: So um, that's actually why I've got salt, fat, acid, heat in my room. Um, uh, Joseph was talking to me at one point about um, a poetry handbook that he's been working on and um, how it was kind of modeled after salt, fat, acid, heat. And so then I got really, really interested in that and I knew I wanted to do a cooking curriculum so I asked if they'd order a copy of the book uh, and then I read it and loved it so the entire first semester um, is broken down into salt fat acid heat the first unit would just be just understanding the kitchen like looking at a knife and learning not to be afraid of it learning how to just look at it as it's a tool treat it like a tool and you have nothing to be worried about how to use the oven how to use the stove how to like why we need to wash our hands especially after we touch raw meat uh, or really any kind of dairy product um, and so on and so forth and then I go into salt fat acid heat each unit is going to have a little bit of a scientific element to it of what is this why does it work this way Um, how does it lend to the flavor of the food because at the end of the day the kids are going to know how to heat up some ramen noodles they're going to know how to go buy a salad or just you know chop up some lettuce and throw it in a bowl but that doesn't guarantee they're going to eat healthy they're going to know how they know they need to eat greens and low-fat stuff it's how do you make that stuff taste good yeah and so um we go through all of that in unit one of how to make food uh, the science behind it how to cook at least one dish from each of these And then unit two uh, becomes kind of a culinary trip around the world. So I try to devote a unit to each uh, continent, uh, excepting in place of Alaska, it's fusion cuisine. And because there's just way more cuisine than you could cover in a single semester. um, Basically, it's each unit the student is going to get a feel for the flavors of that continent or the region um and they're going to pick a country that they're really going to follow uh because say french food is going to be very different from german food is different from english food is different from russian food and so um yeah they're going to just kind of learn about the region learn about their flavors and then research and prepare a dish from that country ending in the final unit they create fusion cuisine um which could be kind of cheating depending on the teacher. The kid could get away with just doing Tex-Mex or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would encourage them to invent a dish of their own to create.
0: That's awesome. I was really interested when you were talking about developing that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, still, it's still caught in the spider's web. We, I have no idea when or if we're gonna get it, but I really, and I know a lot of our kids really wanna learn how to cook too. We've got some little chefs yes. at the school who I think are just ready to get some more serious practice in.
0: There's a couple of things that still gripe me about um, education. And one is the way that we've kind of been presented nutrition and eating just in general. And that's through things like the food pyramid and like a lot of things that are like, you should eat healthy foods. But they, what I'm annoyed with is the kind of, like, the non-connected nature of um, how they present food. It's through home economics. If you take that, you learn how to make Rice Krispie treats. Yeah. And then you go into health class, and then you learn, like, this is the food pyramid, and you should eat mainly, you know, fruits, vegetables, and a lot of these grains down at the bottom. Yeah. Which is also kind of, like... Uh, I don't know about that, Um, but there's a disconnect between what you should be eating, how you should plan to buy groceries, and how to cook for yourself. And those are three things that need to be like interconnected um, because it's not necessarily that you should only eat. I don't expect a college kid to just automatically be like, I'm going to eat all fruits and vegetables because that's what I learned in health class. Like, obviously there's going to be a lot of ramen noodles thrown in there. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of beans and rice, and they're all economical foods that are easy to cook. How can you throw in some greens every once in a while just to like round it out or throw in these like staples that would be really beneficial to young people as they're learning to be self-sufficient? That needs to be our food education for high schoolers.
1: And I think a lot of it just kind of comes down to, to use a buzzword here, effusion, empowerment. You know, like you pointed out, logically, we know we need to eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. Sometimes that's just not convenient. Yeah. You go and you buy them, and then if you don't cook them within a certain amount of time, they go bad in the fridge. Or sometimes you come in and your body's just really craving a certain kind of flavor that you're just not going to get. And it's a lot of the time you can, I think, bring those together. If you understand how flavors work together, if you feel comfortable enough in a kitchen to be able to just go throw stuff. Like, I think one of the uh, moments that made me go like, oh, I really like cooking was I was at a friend's house. Um, We were like sewing or something. It was, it had nothing to do with food, but we ended up being there pretty late and uh, we got pretty hungry and we discovered i was probably the most free-spirited chef in that house and so um we were talking about ordering a pizza or something but we're like oh i don't know if we want to order a pizza or you know this that and the other and i just said well let me go cook something i've been trying to make a lot of um, okonomiyaki lately and the um, owner of the house said well you can see what we've got And I went down there and just because of my knowledge of cooking and because I had done it a lot, I was able to throw together some carrot pancakes and a savory sauce for us all to eat. And it was kind of like the, oh my God, a younger me would have gone into that kitchen gone, nope, sorry, let's order the pizza. And so it was, it was, it felt really good to know that, you know, with a certain level of knowledge, you can just go into a kitchen and make something with whatever is available, which also becomes more economical because you're going to use what you've got more. Um, It's also going to be easier to incorporate healthy things. Uh, Again, learning how to use what you've got. When I was younger, I hated Brussels sprouts until a few years ago my brother prepared me some Brussels sprouts and I discovered blackened Brussels sprouts are (laughs) some of the most delicious things on the planet. They're (laughs) super healthy and on top of that, they really, they have tons of, I, I want to say it's fiber mm-hmm. or something. They just really fill you up. And totally. I was so satisfied after that meal, and I did not expect to be. And it's kind of, you know, a lot of these, oh, I don't like that. Oh, I'm kind of picky. It's, um, to this day, I don't like olives. And it's been pointed out to me, the reason I don't like olives is not because I don't like olives, it's because I hate the olives that we have here.
0: Right. That
1: if I were to go to say Greece and have olives, I would love them.
0: Delicious olives.
1: Because they're prepared properly. And I think a lot of the most empowering thing about knowing how to cook is being able to just kind of take care of yourself and make good use of your resources and be willing to be experimental. Be willing to just find something and go, I can use that. Like um, last night, I just got really, really hangry for um, sticky rice. And so I popped into the Asian supply store and while I was looking for ingredients, I stumbled upon jasmine extract. I was like, what is this? Mm. And it's kind of a new level of excitement to just be able to go in and be like, oh, I'm going to use this in something. I don't know what yet, but it's going to be fun.
0: I've never heard of this
1: the jasmine extract yeah
0: it's gotta be america's
1: uh... we're very behind the rest of the world in our use of floral flavors um people have been aware that you can put rose in stuff but we don't really people yeah. have been aware you can put lavender in the stuff and it's only in recent years you've seen rose and lavender pop up violet is still hardly ever used because it's so sweet and people don't expect that jasmine honeysuckle we've a lot of these flowers are edible and absolutely delicious it's just flavors that are still working their way over here
0: yeah a lot of other cultures have been on that for a long time like a lot of persian cooking you look at a recipe and it's like rose water it's like uh, i don't know where to go get that here yeah. but it's in every recipe
1: um fun <clears> fact <throat> there is an uh indian supply store um think that might actually be what it's called uh it's next to the food basket i want to say on the other side of 45 um they've got rose water they've got all this stuff they've also got tons of cardamom like in any form you want you can get it in pods you can get it ground up you can get it fine ground you can get it coarse ground
0: that's the beauty Uh, of living uh close to houston is that we have a ton there's like have you ever been to little india
1: I haven't, but I've heard of good things. It's, that's one of my goals is to get down there and just explore, because I, I, I kind of want to see if I can find a place where you can get affordable saffron. That's one of my, yep. like, um, the jasmine uh, extract and saffron are kind of my, um, my wish list.
0: Yeah, super expensive. Yeah,
1: super expensive, but at the same time, it's like, oh, I had um, saffron pasta. For the first time last year and it was like transcendently good <laughs> it's like oh god i want to do this i want to be like this but um i'm about to start experimenting more with matcha in baking see what oh, happens okay. there yeah that's the fun is also is sometimes you discover it works and sometimes you discover you need babysitting when you're making macarons and it's all fun yeah you can you can turn baking into a social thing by saying I need you to come watch me while I bake. By watch me, I mean you're going to bake the macarons and I'm going to go into the other room.
0: <laughs> of course.
1: I, I pay them back. I make them I make them the dinner and they make the dessert, so it's fine.
0: It's also very impressive to friends. If you know, I will say this unequivocally, um, whether you are, you know, whoever you are and whoever you're looking for, it is... Uh, It will impress people if you can cook.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's... It's... It's really nice to be able to share that with people. Um, There's an anime that I really like called Yuri on Ice. And one of... Yuri on Ice is also very about food. uh, Which might, now that I think about it, be one of the reasons I like it. Okay. But um, there's a dish called Katsudon, which is basically... um, It's uh, rice with, um, you have katsu, it's supposed to be pork katsu, but I like to do it with chicken. Uh, And then you just cook up, um, I think you're supposed to tempura, I get lazy. I saute a bunch of vegetables, and then you throw some spices on it, you grate the carrot over it, you, I like to make homemade teriyaki sauce, which is just molasses and soy sauce. And it's a huge endeavor, and so I don't do it very often. But whenever friends come over, I love to cook katsudon for them because it's not a dish you can find in most restaurants. And it's really fun. Um, if I'm lazy, I'll make them ali olio which is way faster. It's only six ingredients. Um, and it's, it's fun to get to do that for them, to feed them, to put that effort into it and kind of go like, you know, this is a thing I love and I want to share it with you. And it's also nice to go to someone's house and have them do the same. Um, very recently... A friend and I were supposed to be going somewhere for a 4th of July party, and even though it kind of added half an hour to the trip, uh, she insisted that I come over to her apartment because she just made homemade gazpacho, which I'd never had before. Um, I was very confused when it was like drinking salsa, Mm -hmm. and now I think gazpacho is my favorite soup. But she just made homemade gazpacho and couldn't wait to share it with someone, and it was kind of like that feeling of togetherness and family Mm -hmm. and getting to to share with each other is one of the best things about cooking because it's it's an, not an isolated art form. So much of art, like writing, is so isolated. And then you send it off and other people work on it, but you don't really get to be a part of it, um, which I expect might be a bit what it's like when you're a professional chef. But if you're just a home cook, the ultimate goal is to feed other people and eat with them.
0: Yes. And be, you know, creative and do everything that you were saying earlier, like put yourself into the things that feed you and your, your people. Yeah. Um, It's pretty, it's, uh, you know, everybody needs it, I think. (laughs) Um, But it's also just a really great way of learning how to be resourceful. And I think it opens your eyes. Like, I think what you're talking about being able to go into the pantry And find the things to make, find the carrots to make the, uh, uh, the, whatever the, what's the name of the pancake?
1: Um, Well, Okonomiyaki was what the base recipe was, but I didn't have any cabbage. You need cabbage for Okonomiyaki. (laughs) Oh, okay.
0: Well, just being able to go in and like see those things is the whole, you know, that's resourcefulness. That's like being open-minded and open Having your eyes open enough to, like, see uh, the possibility and everything. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Well, uh, we have to let you get to class. Awesome. It's, it's coming up at 1.30. Um, where can people find you if they would have questions for you? If you would like to answer their questions.
1: Yeah, no? uh, csmith at fusionacademy.com. Okay. And, yeah, if anyone wants to talk, I love talking about food. Food is the best. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. so get in touch with chelsea uh, if you have any questions for her and if you want to talk about cooking you can follow summer league at summer league htx on instagram thank you so much chelsea for sitting down and chatting
1: thank you for having me
0: and we'll see you next week